0: Mark 14 verses 1 through 11, it was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him for they said not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him let 's pray together. Lord, we come into this place today, desiring God to to pour out Lord, whether through our voices and singing or our lives and serving god we we long to We long to to, to love you like this woman in this text loves you, who holds nothing back. She pours it all out in devotion to you. God, we come into this place in a variety of different states, Lord, with a variety of different experiences this last week, going into a variety of different things this week, and, and, and chaos, and confusion, and violence in the world, and And Lord, what we need, God, even in our our good desires to do good things, what we need is to receive from you today, Lord. Would you pour out your Spirit on this place? Would you teach us and lead us? Comfort and encourage, convict. Holy Spirit, would you exalt Jesus in our minds and hearts and in this place? Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I learned a very valuable lesson early on in my life that something is only as valuable as someone else is willing to pay. My mom dropped off uh, boxes of my old baseball cards. And I remembered collecting those cards. These are going to be worth a fortune someday. And as I looked through all of them, worthless, (laughs) worthless, worthless, something is only as valuable as someone else is willing to pay. Do you remember Beanie Babies? Right, I got a fist pump right there. I know there's more collectors in this room than you are leading to believe. Don't be shy. Uh, the, the The Beanie Baby scandal, right? They were gonna be worth a fortune. A, a friend of mine was recently given hundreds of Beanie Babies. And so he wanted to know how much they were worth. So he went to eBay. And eBay is about as useful... Uh, for determining the value of something as WebMD is at diagnosing medical (laughs) conditions. Uh, There's been a number of things that were worth a fortune, uh, according to eBay. And you know how many times I've been dying of an aortic rupture? I I don't get that one. That one, it shows up all the time. And I'm like, I think that if my aorta had ruptured, I don't know if I could type that into the WebMD search. It's useless. See, eBay only shows you the asking price. And, and you, you can ask whatever you want for something. It doesn't actually tell you what people are willing to pay unless you click the little button in the search filter that says show only sold items. If you do that, you can see what someone has actually paid for that item. Life hack. Uh, a friend of mine takes this one Beanie Baby and types it in. And according to eBay, what someone was selling it for, it was was $15,000. And I said, bro, you got to click this button. Two weeks ago, it sold for 99 cents. <laughs> something is only as valuable as someone is willing to pay. It doesn't matter how much you think it's worth, but sometimes you come across something that is significantly undervalued. There are lots of people who make a decent living supplemental income by buying things from garage sales and thrift stores for significantly less than they're worth and turning around and flipping it because they know that this is something more than the seller believes that it is. Sometimes people don't know what they have. And so price doesn't always reflect true value. Our text today depicts very different people with very different motives, but all of them put a price on Jesus. And then we are invited in this text to wrestle with the question of what is Jesus worth? What are you willing to give for Jesus? What are you willing to trade for Jesus? Or, like Judas, what are you willing to trade Jesus for? Let's begin with the woman who gives her treasure in devotion to Jesus. While the spiritual elite are completely missing the significance of who Jesus is, Jesus is in the home of a man named Simon the leper. This first few sentences of this passage is remarkable. We're told that it's two days before the Passover feast, right? The Passover was a celebration of when God's people were delivered from Egypt and into freedom. Specifically, the Passover feast is a remembrance of the 10th plague. When the firstborn of Egypt was struck down the night they were delivered and the night they left their captivity. And so the religious elite who should be preparing for the Passover feast, to remember what God did in the 10th plague, are planning to kill God's firstborn, God's only son. And Jesus is in the home of a man named Simon the leper. Most likely a, a former leper. Maybe it's someone that Jesus has healed in the past, He couldn't still be a leper because that would render him unclean and he would be unable to host such dinner parties. But he's in this man's house, a man who knows what it means to be cut off spiritually, to be cut off socially, to not be allowed to worship in the temple. And the chief priests who run the temple are planning to kill Jesus. During dinner, a woman comes to the table with an alabaster flask of of incredibly expensive oil. Mark says it's valued at 300 denarii. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, when we talked about paying taxes to Caesar, Jesus asked to see a denarius. A denarius was worth one day's wage. That was what it was estimated at, is just one day's wage. So 300 denarii is roughly an annual salary. This oil, this alabaster flask filled with this ointment, was worth about a year's salary. Now, I don't need to even prompt you, you're already thinking about your annual salary. Right the, the, the median household income in Santa Barbara County is about 75,000 dollars a year. Now, no matter where you are, on the financial spectrum, to spend that in one night at a, at a, at a dinner meal is incredibly extravagant. An annual salary in one moment. This scene is reminiscent from a couple of weeks ago. Remember the poor widow who was putting her two coins in the offering box? Just two small copper coins. It was all that she had to live on. And Jesus said that all of the other people, they gave out of their abundance, but this woman gave out of her poverty. Just two small coins gave everything she had to live on. But this woman has real treasure. This woman in Mark 14 has something of real value, and she pours it all out in love and devotion for Jesus. She pours it all out. She doesn't just open it and pour out a drop. She doesn't save some for later. She doesn't hold some back. She breaks it, it says. She breaks the flask and pours it out on Jesus. She holds nothing back. What would you be willing to spend a year's salary on? I mean, honestly, outside of a, outside of a home, <laughs> I can't imagine what, what other things in the world that would be, would be worth spending an, an entire year's salary on. And this woman, in, in a moment of love and devotion, she pours it out in honor of Jesus. Now, we can compare this with the religious leaders. We've talked about them a little bit already. When the woman gives her treasure in devotion to Jesus, the leaders plan to destroy Jesus to protect their treasure, to protect what they truly value. See, the religious leaders are threatened by Jesus' popularity. The religious leaders are threatened by the, the 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 people going to Jesus and honoring Jesus and praising Jesus. They want that attention. They're threatened and they're worried that Rome is going to get wind of Jesus' messianic claims, and they're going to come in and squash the situation. And then maybe their position, their role, their favor with the Roman Empire would be at stake. Jesus interferes with their position and their plans, so they look for a way to kill Jesus. They've tried to do what they could about him. They've tried challenging him in public debate. They've come to him and asked difficult questions in order to shame him and to exalt themselves. And Jesus continues to best them in debate. They can't defeat him. Time and time again, Jesus silences them by his wisdom. So they tried accusing him of blasphemy. They tried accusing Jesus of breaking God's law. They even associated him with Satan. They accused him of being possessed by Satan. And still, his his good works, his healings, his power, his wisdom, his, his love and compassion couldn't be refuted. And so his popularity, as much as they tried to defeat him, his popularity only increased. He was celebrated by the people everywhere that he went. And so their only option by this point is we've got to get rid of this guy. We have to get rid of him. We have to kill him. It's the only way. And so the religious leaders in this time just like many people throughout the history of the world, and potentially even in this room, resist Jesus because of something that they value more. We resist Jesus because of something that we are trying to protect, some treasure that we have exalted over Christ. See, we will pay whatever it costs to protect what we truly love. We will go to great lengths and make incredible sacrifices to protect what it is that we truly love. While many followers of Jesus make beautiful sacrifices every day in pursuit of Him, in in love and honor and worship of Jesus, there are still many more who make sacrifices to keep Jesus away who make sacrifices to, to keep his word over there, to keep their friends who know Jesus over there, to keep Jesus at arm's length. You stay over there, Jesus. Don't mess with my life. Ultimately, if you continue to resist Jesus, the price that you will pay is significantly greater than an annual salary. The price that you pay is with your eternal soul. The cost of rejecting Jesus is incredibly, incredibly great. And so you need to ask, not just ask, you need to answer the question today, what is Jesus worth to you? What is he worth? What is his value? What does he mean to you? Not just sentimentally. But what kind of sacrifice, what kind of effort, what, ki- what are you willing to do to ensure that Jesus is yours? What price are you willing to pay to keep him out of your business? See, the woman gives her treasure in devotion to Jesus. The leaders give treasure to destroy Jesus. And then there's Judas. Judas sees an opportunity. Judas betrays Jesus to get treasure. See, Mark doesn't tell us the price, but Matthew tells us that Judas is paid 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And in contrast with the woman's gift of a year's wages, 30 pieces of silver is roughly three to four months Wage. Still a significant amount of money. Which of us wouldn't want an extra three to four months in our savings account? It's a significant amount of money. And this is the price that Judas puts on his master's head. He uses his position, his closeness, his familiarity. He's one of Jesus, he's one of the 12 disciples. He's one of the 12. And he uses his position with Jesus to get what he truly wants. See, Judas sees Jesus as a means to an end. Jesus is not the goal for Judas. He is just a way to get what he truly wants. And so he chooses money over the Messiah. Now, the best explanation for why Judas does this is mostly speculative. But given the story of the disciples in Mark thus far... And given the situation that gives rise to Judas' treachery, this moment with this woman as she pours out something incredibly valuable in honor of Jesus, the most reasonable explanation is that Judas expected that following the Messiah would lead to his own glory. We've seen this before. We've seen this from the disciples before, like James and John wanting to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left when he enters his kingdom. Like Peter, who expected Jesus to be a warrior king, to overthrow Rome, to fight and to, and to defeat the Romans. The expectation that the people had in this day was that Messiah would overthrow Rome and restore a political kingdom to Israel. Likewise, Judas was following Jesus to get what he really wanted. And then all of this talk of death and carrying your cross began to disenchant his discipleship. Every time Jesus talked about his death, every time Jesus talked about picking up your cross, anytime Jesus talked about suffering, Judas took a little step further back. and wasn't quite sure what was going on with this Jesus character. And then when Jesus praises the woman for her sacrifice, it's too much. He realizes he's not going to get what he wanted. And so he may as well get something for the trouble of following him. He's been following him for three years. He's not going to get what he wants, so he might as well get something for the trouble. To Judas, Jesus was only a means to an end. There's so much that Jesus offers to those who follow him so much that Jesus offers to those who trust in him, to those who believe in him, but the things that this world treasures most are often not a part of the equation. Those who follow Jesus and expect him to provide earthly treasures are often sadly mistaken, whether that's wealth or reputation or comfort and security, the perfect family a fulfilling career, prominence in the community, whatever it might be. Many people try to use Jesus to get what they really want. And when Jesus doesn't provide it, they turn away. And it's like wishing time and time again upon a shooting star. Every time you see a shooting star and making the same wish, you wish and wish and wish. And when it doesn't happen, how long are you going to keep wishing? When people treat Jesus like a shooting star, when they treat Jesus like a genie, like a vending machine that just won't pay out, how many more quarters are you going to stick in it before you quit? These last two years, honestly, have been a case in point. While many people see suffering in the world, they see difficult, they see tragedy in the world, and it turns them to Jesus, many. Have seen it and turned away. Last two years has been a reminder to them that maybe, maybe they're not gonna get the cushy life that they wanted from Jesus. Maybe that's not in store for, for them. And so they leave and they try something different. And I have to ask: maybe you're here today, and maybe you're maybe you're on the fence. You know, maybe the last two years hasn't been the the, the point, but then you continue to see what's going on in the world and you see the the fear and you see the tensions and you see the violence and you see, gosh, I really believed this world was just going to get better and better and better. And then Jesus was going to come back and we'd all live happily ever after. But you look at the world and that's not what's happening. And you go, God, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And not just the world out there, but the world in here and the world in our hearts, it's not getting better. And I don't know how much longer I can do this. I have to ask, what did you expect? I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to, to, you know, rub salt in the wound. But what do we expect? Did we expect a Messiah who suffered and died and then called his disciples to pick up their cross and follow him and suffer well and endure hardship and and to experience the hatred of the world on account of him, did we expect him suddenly to change his mind in the 21st century? Like it's been 2,000 years of pick up your cross and, and follow me. And you know what? That's antiquated now. It doesn't work anymore. And so the good news In the 21st century, the good news is that my disciples get to live their best life now. Because I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan is for you to seek your glory and your honor and your praise and your wealth and your status. Because Jesus 2.0 is all about you. In the 21st century, the new Jesus is about your glory, making a name for yourself. Look, for 2,000 years, it has been pick up your cross and follow me. And for the next 2,000 years or till the Lord returns, it is going to be pick up your cross and follow me. What we want is comfort. and Oftentimes, that's not what Jesus gives. He doesn't give us comfortable circumstances, but in our difficult circumstances, he gives the comforter. He gives the Holy Spirit. He is with us and we can endure whatever we encounter, not because what we encounter is really not that bad. No, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's really bad. But through faith in Christ, he's with you through it. People who have followed Jesus their whole lives often turn away when they realize that Jesus isn't all about our glory. He's about his. And That's okay because he's worthy. Sometimes we wrestle with this. We have a hard time with that. Why is it wrong for me to seek my glory? But it's okay for God to seek to be worshiped. Why is, like, that's megalomania when it's me. But why is it okay for God to be about his glory? We've talked quite a bit about idolatry in this church. That idolatry is giving glory and honor and praise, giving worship to anything that is not God. It's making a good thing a God thing. It's taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. God, knowing himself to be the most beautiful, valuable, worthy being in all of the universe, if he gave glory and honor and praise to anything outside of himself, God would commit idolatry. It's only wrong when we want glory because we're not God, but he is. And so he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And many people follow Jesus their whole lives, and they they, they turn away when they find that it's not going to guarantee the cushy life. This is what Judas does. When he finds out that Jesus isn't going to give him the glory, the wealth, the whatever it is that he wants, he turns away. Now, here's the crazy thing about Judas. Judas. He might be the first of the disciples, at least according to Mark. He's the first one of the disciples that actually understands what Jesus is going to do. See, Peter confesses that he's the Christ. And then Jesus has to rebuke him because Peter thinks that he's going to march into Jerusalem with a sword and overthrow Rome. He doesn't understand that as the Christ, he's going to do something different than they expected. James and John, they believe that he's a king. And they want to sit at his right hand and at his left. And so Jesus has to correct them. That's not the way. It's not the way of of earthly glory. It's the way of suffering. But Judas, I think he gets it. He understands what what Jesus is going to do. He understands that Jesus is going to die. He's the first one to get it. And he leaves him because of it. He leaves him because he knows he's going to die. Jesus just said the woman was anointing him, his body, before burial. Jesus is like, okay, I get it, and I'm out. That's not what I signed up for. And so he seeks to betray him. He sells him out. And while what Judas did is a special kind of evil, many of Jesus' followers throughout history have turned away when times got tough and they realized that following Jesus wasn't going to give them what the world can offer. And so they betrayed him for what they truly wanted. See, it's not those who simply know who Jesus is who are saved. It's not those who just intellectually affirm his identity. Yes, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Yes, I believe that Jesus was Lord. Yes, I believe these things intellectually. It's not just those who know about what he's done. Yes, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he died for my sins even. It's not those who just affirm his identity or affirm what he did or even why he did it. It's only those who give their lives to Jesus who entrust their lives, who entrust their time, who entrust their relationships, who entrust their resources, who entrust every ounce of who they are. It's only those who entrust themselves to Jesus, no matter the cost. See, many people, even people who don't know Jesus, will look at what Judas did, Will look at what the religious leaders did and they'll look at them in disgust. You don't need to be a Christian to look at Judas and the religious leaders with disgust. What they did was reprehensible, it was awful. And yet there are many that call themselves Christians who, like Jesus, would look, or like Judas, rather, would look at what this woman did and look at that in disgust. See, I remember being a relatively new believer. And I was still trying to figure it all out. Um, And to be quite honest with you, I had one foot in the church and one foot in the world or like a quarter of a foot in the church and like the rest of me in the world just trying to add Jesus to my life rather than giving my life to Jesus. I was just trying to, yeah, all of these things, all of these relationships, all this good stuff. And then I'm just going to add this and then I'm good. I went to a friend's house for dinner and the couple hosting the dinner the entire time was just gushing about how much they love Jesus and, oh, Jesus this and Jesus that. And, oh, we just love the Lord. And me and a couple of my friends, we we left and we scoffed. We were like, gosh, I just can't. I can't take it. There's other things to talk about. There's other ways that we can spend our time. And we scoffed. I'll be honest with you, it actually, actually interfered with my relationship with this couple. I just didn't want to be around it. The whole time saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And just going, Jesus, I've given you this, I've given you this much, but no more. I ended up losing touch with that couple. Rather than learning to love like they did, I fought to hold on to the things that were competing for my devotion. See, there's no price of admission to being a disciple of Jesus. Right? You don't have to pay to play. This isn't this, this isn't Scientology. But like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, grace is free, but it's not cheap. It will cost you everything. And so what stands in the way of giving him everything? There was people at this dinner, the the dinner in, in Scripture, not the dinner that I was at, that watched the woman pour out the oil on Jesus' head. There were people there. They looked at it and they said, it's wasteful. It's a waste. could have been sold, could have been given to the poor, but this was wasteful. See, many of us, many of you have been incredible, been given incredible gifts. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's your intellect. Maybe it's a particular gift set, a skill that you have. Maybe it's, it's financial. Maybe it's influence in the community, your health and strength, whatever it is. Would you pour it all out for Jesus? Hold nothing back. Not just a drop here and there. Would you break it and pour it out in devotion to Jesus? Or would that be wasteful? Would it be wasteful? I wish that more people would waste their lives for Jesus. I wish I would be more willing to waste my life for Jesus. There is no greater cause. There is nothing in this world so beautiful, so valuable, so worthy to pour it all out for. And I find in my heart still holding back the same kid that was at the dinner table. give you this, but that, that's too much. That would be wasteful. There's too many good things to enjoy. There's too many good things in this creation, too many beautiful things to give time and energy to and finances to, to help this person, to help that person to do even good things. Just a drop here, a drop there, a drop there. Reality Carp, would we pour it all out, all of it, Pour it all out for Jesus. The Lord has asked good things of his people. He requires a lot. He requires a lot. And oftentimes I can justify myself. God, I'll give you 10%. No more. I'll give you the first 15 minutes of my day in reading my Bible and prayer. No more. I'll serve in the church. Maybe you're here like, Jesus, I'll give you two Sundays a month. I'll even serve one of those Sundays. No more. That would be a waste. That's too much, Jesus. How much is Jesus allowed to ask of you? See, this was the opinion of many people in the room who saw the woman break the jar and pour it over Jesus' head. It was a waste. It was wasteful. They were close enough to Jesus to experience, to smell the aroma, to experience that and actually enjoy the pleasing aroma of the oil poured out over Jesus. And they said this was a waste. It could have been put to better use. Maybe you look at the things that you have and, and giving it to Jesus wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be a waste. You wouldn't say it's, a, it's wasteful. But gosh, it could be put to better use. Should have been sold and given to the poor, they said. John's gospel tells us the same story and John questions their sincerity. But Mark here gives them the benefit of the doubt that it would be a good thing. It would be a good thing to sell that and to give it to the poor. They wanted to do a good thing. And many people today withhold complete devotion to Jesus because they want to do good things. Yes, Lord, I could give my time and my money and my energy to my local community of believers, but there's so many other good causes that I want to give to. And so I'm going to divide it up and say, it's a good thing. Good things to contribute to, good things to do, good ways to serve. Jesus encourages their desire to do good to the poor. He says, you'll always have them. You can do good for them whenever you want, but you'll not always have me. And so whatever it is, whether you want to use your your money, your home, your career, your influence, your gifts that God has given you to do something good in the world, you can, you can give money to digging wells. You can go dig wells yourself. You can give time and money to all kinds of justice ministries, and it would all be good. Love the poor. My hope is that Reality Carpentry would be known as a community who loves the poor in this community, who serves the marginalized, who cares for the most vulnerable, would love that to be our reputation. We need to do these things. But if it's not out of devotion to Jesus and to his kingdom mission of gospel proclamation, if it is detached from the preaching of the good news, if it is just good works and detached from telling people about Jesus who can save them from spiritual poverty, then it's incomplete. It's incomplete. See, had the woman done what she did for anyone else in the room, If she had done it for anyone else in the world, it would have been a waste. Would have been wasted. Missed opportunity. But she does it for Jesus, and so it's worship. She's honored for it. See, the reason that we, like Judas and like the religious leaders, struggle with this The reason that we continue to choose earthly treasures and earthly comforts over Jesus is because deep down, we believe them to be more valuable than Jesus. The reason we struggle to live like this woman and pour everything out for him is because we struggle to accept what she believed. That Jesus is a greater treasure poured out for us. See, they wanted the flask to be sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus was sold by Judas, sold out, betrayed. And in doing so, Jesus was given to the spiritually poor. Because of sin, the world is subject to spiritual poverty. We have nothing in our accounts We are in spiritual debt, but Jesus, the infinitely valuable and eternal son of God was sold and given over to be crucified, to cover our sin, to pay your debt that you owed to God, that separated you from fellowship, from intimacy with him, covered your debt. He has poured out eternal riches onto his people and given us Kingdom wealth, eternal wealth, heavenly wealth. See, as the woman took her treasure, that alabaster flask, and broke it and poured it out, Jesus' body was beaten. His hands and feet pierced. He was broken on the cross so that we could be healed. As the perfume was poured out and the aroma filled the room, the blood of Jesus was poured out. Something far more beautiful, something far more costly. The blood of Christ was poured out as a fragrant offering so that anyone in the entire world, anyone in this room who receives it by faith, receives salvation, eternal life, a future in the kingdom of heaven, Eternal life with God and freedom from sin, freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from death, so Jesus is a much greater treasure than this alabaster flask much much. Uh, greater treasure than an annual salary, much greater treasure than an entire life filled with good things. Jesus is a much greater treasure than anything this world has to offer. Everything else is pocket change. It doesn't matter. It's worthless. Paul calls it rubbish. Says like, I consider it all rubbish for the surpassing glory of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He is a far greater treasure. Everything else will fade away, but the treasure that Jesus gives is forever. The reason that we struggle to live lives like this woman, willing to pour everything out for Jesus, the reason that I struggle to pour everything out for Jesus, the reason I struggle to to not just drop by drop, but to be broken before Jesus and poured out for Jesus is because there are things in this world, good things, not bad things, things, but good things in this world that we continue to believe are greater treasures than Jesus. And it isn't until we understand who he is and how low he was willing to go to give us life that we will realize that his beauty and his value is not just for him and him alone to be be glorified and praised for eternity, but his beauty and value poured out for us changes who we are It changes who you are. It gives you value. We began our time together by affirming that something is only as valuable as another is willing to pay for it. All of the people in this text, they put a price on Jesus. But let's not forget that Jesus paid a price for you. If Jesus is that true, that greater treasure poured out for you of infinite worth, of infinite value, in the same way that the woman was saying that Jesus is worth all of this, Jesus said that you're worth all of this. You are worth it to him. He loves you. He went to great lengths at the expense of his own self to show you value, to show you love to show you his devotion to you. Like this woman, he gave everything to purchase you. And because of the priceless blood of Christ, because it has been poured out for you, Jesus has made you priceless. There is no treasure in this world that is worth your devotion because he has made you priceless unto himself. That if you receive the blood of Christ poured out for you by faith, you're a child of God. And He loves you, and He's committed to you. And you are His treasured possession, is what the scriptures say you have been made priceless you are of immense value to god and to god's people now realistically in a room of this size there is one or multiple people in this room feeling so small so weak like you've got nothing to give maybe it's because of your age maybe you feel too young maybe you feel too old maybe it's because of your your place in life maybe it's because you're in school or because you're retired Whatever it is, there's people in this room right now, maybe it's you, who are hearing this and and thinking, yes, I, I one day want to be of value to God. But right now, not yet. But like a small flask filled with oil that when poured out, the aroma fills the room. Your life, no matter how small you think it is, no matter how weak, no matter how frail, no matter how how gifted you think you are or think you are not, if you give your life to Jesus, if you pour your life out, for Jesus. Not only is the aroma something that fills the room, not only will we, your church family, experience the beauty and the power and the glory of God in your life, but a life poured out for Jesus can fill the world with Christ's glory. The scriptures say that we are the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life leading to life. That means those who have been saved, those who have eternal life in Christ Jesus will see your life, will smell the, the fragrance of Christ and be reminded of the life that awaits them in eternity. A life with Jesus. But it also says that it's the stench of death leading to death. That those who don't know Jesus, those who are dead in their sins and trespasses, they see a life poured out for Jesus and they say, wasteful, wretched, appalling, disgusting. And they turn away. Their decision is not of your concern. Your responsibility through faith is to receive what Jesus has done for you and pour it out to pour your life out in worship of Jesus and allow him to take care of the rest, to be that aroma of Christ, of life leading to life or death leading to death. That means that there will be difficulty as people reject you as Jesus was rejected. That means there will be difficulty, there will be pleasures in this life that you will forsake for the greater pleasure of knowing Christ. There are consequences to our decision to follow Jesus. But the reward is a far greater treasure than anything you can cling to in this life. Church, oh gosh. Don't waste it. We're not gonna waste this. He's worthy of it all. Reality carpenteria. Whether you've been a part of this church for a long time or this is your first time here. Whether in worship or in our lives, in our careers, in our relationships, whatever it is, don't leave this place having not poured it out in worship of Christ. Don't leave this place holding anything back. Whatever it is that you think you gain by holding it back, it's not until you pour it out that you experience the true beauty and value that he is, it's not until you pour it out that you experience the full, immense treasure that he is. Don't leave this place clinging to any of it, but receive the treasure that Jesus is, the beauty and glory that he is. Just had this image come to mind earlier today of a, of a, of a cup and and this cup was had all kinds of like grime and stuff in it dirt and filth and i thought god i don't want to pour that out that's you that's that's not that's not good i don't want that to be seen part of the reason we don't pour out our lives is because it might be seen for what it is it might not be pleasant but then just like a a waterfall, this flood poured into the cup and it shot everything else out. And then what the cup was overflowing was this pure and clean water. Let's receive the Holy Spirit. Let's receive the word of God. Let's receive Christ today, all his goodness and value and beauty. Let him displace that other stuff so that our lives is just a constant overflowing, pouring out to his glory. Father, this is our desire. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room um, who may be saying, God, I, I, I want to want that. I'm not there yet, but I want to want it. Pray that you would honor that desire. God, that you would lead them even in this time as we worship, as we pray, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that you would honor that desire and strengthen them, empower them to pour it out in devotion to you. God, in what we have to offer, however little or however great we might think it is, we have nothing good apart from you. And so fill us, Lord, we pray, so that we might overflow with your goodness. May we hold nothing back. In Jesus' name, amen.